but yeah, so, so I, I had the opportunity of sharing about adoption and fostering and the father's heart in different environments. I had the great privilege of doing that, uh, sharing in a seminar in Sligo just uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And and what I try to say to to a, to a, to a church people, the church family, to the church environment is that I I'm not I'm not naive enough to think that every single person in this room has a responsibility to either adopt or foster. I never want to say that. But what I do believe is that everybody, every one of us that, that, uh, that follow Jesus have a responsibility towards the widow, the orphan, and the, and the, and the stranger. Because every, every time I read through the scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, it seems to be every generation is, is going to be responsible one of the things that seems to be incredibly close to the Father's heart is how a generation and how the people of God will, will look after and stand with and champion the most vulnerable. And, uh, and so I know that not every one of you is going to be called to adopt, or adopt and foster, but every one of you has a responsibility towards the kids that come into this place. We've seen that in, uh, with Bridget. And it's incredible that, that we get to invest and we all collectively get to invest in the life of Jamie Lee. And that's what we're saying to you as well that's what we're inviting you in on as aunts and uncles or as whatever that's that's going to be we want to we want to uh, we want to know you to know that you're part of this this is not something separate this cannot be something separate that individual families do on the sideline of of church this is central for us church is integral in in, in all of this so so thank you and uh we are we're we're so looking forward to what god wants to wants to do this morning, uh, this morning, I I want to go back a couple of weeks. At the end of June, uh, at the end of June, there's a there's a handful of us went down to to a, to a leaders event uh, with different churches across the nation, across Ireland. Um, actually, before I go on, can I can I just say this? Uh, scrap that introduction, because. What I became aware of, what I was so reminded of while we were worshipping there actually, was that me and Judith left that panel on Thursday, cleared to to be father to the fatherless, to be mother to the motherless in in, in many ways. And uh, and then that night we had we had made plans to go down to to uh, the dairy, London Dairy with with Gareth that some of you have met. Gareth's doing incredible work down there bringing hope. Right across this big bus, there is hope, and uh, and so there's a handful of us went down, uh, a couple of carloads went down. Ian brought the girls down, and Andrew and Jesse and Anastasia came with me. And it just struck me as so reminded of it as we worshipped this morning that we experienced that. It felt like the whole night we just experienced the consequences of fatherlessness. We witnessed firsthand the consequences of dysfunctionality. And, uh, and we had wonderful conversations with some young people, with 14 and 15-year-old young people in the broad daylight, walking down, pouring, pouring neat vodka into a cup and just and chucking it down them. And, and it was like every, every young person that walked past it was consuming alcohol, was smoking something funny. And, and then as you got to engage with several of them, you got to engage with several of them, you realize that they're, the, all that they knew, their norm was dysfunction. Normal for them was, was dysfunctionality. And they're so open, they're so willing to 
to talk about Jesus. They were happy to engage in conversations around faith. The consequences of fatherness were just so evident. And it was amazing to me that uh, that later on, at, at just after 11 o'clock, half 11, we, we were about to leave and, and we, we picked up a 44-year-old man who had too much to drink and to sit with a 44-year-old man in the car and take him to the bus stop and for 45 minutes to realize that actually at 44 years of age to still be living with the consequences of fatherlessness was, was really sad. And we picked John up. If, you, if you're thinking about people this afternoon while you're praying, think about John. John's 44 and he, uh, he was in prison for 16 years. Got out of prison, hadn't touched a drink, but his wife left him the start of the week and he took it too much to drink and he lives in Dublin but found himself he doesn't know how in Derry and uh, we brought him to the bus stop 50 minutes away in Letterkenny or 30, 40 minutes away in Letterkenny and I just got to speak word, word, words of life and hope and got to pray with him and but, but realising my goodness 44 years later and still dealing with the consequences of dysfunctional family and fatherlessness and so, Father, I just pray wherever John is, even now, that you would, Lord, just surround him with your kindness. God, let him know that you, that you were, that you had not taken your eyes off him, even when nobody else knew where he was. That you had not taken your eyes off him. And God, I pray for that. That would be the case for those young people in in Derry. I pray that that would be the case for the kids that are awaiting families in the system, care system today. That they would come to realize that you'd never taken your eyes off them that you've always been loving them, you've always been caring for them, you've always been longing that they would know the, the joy of being part of family. And we pray you would bless them all from, from the babies right through to the oldest, God. And maybe even some in this room that maybe feel in some ways they're still dealing with the consequences of fatherlessness or dysfunctionality. Holy Spirit, would you come and bring your love in a fresh measure this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. End of June, we were in Castle Daly with leaders from different churches around the around Ireland and in Cork and Dublin and Wicklow and Wexford and uh, Macrofelt and Armagh and Grace Community Church and and uh, and so me and Judith, we we had left we had left on the Saturday morning. The guys stayed through that were still that were with us stayed right through to the afternoon. And and that morning, um, that morning as they were being prayed for, just we 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 take it in turns just to wrap around each one of the churches and pray for the church uh, that is in the middle of that circle. And um, and so later on that evening, David sent me a recording of the prayer that was. One of the several of the prayers that were prayed over um, the guys that were there representing our church, representing our family, and, uh, and I was just so reminded of it over the last couple of days that I, I felt like I just wanted to share some stuff around that around that uh, using that word that was spoken over this church as a springboard to what it felt like God was maybe wanting to say to us this morning. I can't remember it all. I can't remember it all exactly, but the. But the essence of it was that sometimes that we can look at our size, sometimes that we can look at our location, sometimes that we, c we can look at the fact that we're just in a little porta cabin. 
And we can often as corporately, and I know that we do this individually, but the word that was spoken over the church is that corporately you, whenever you hear from God, whenever God is calling you to something new, when he's calling you to take a step of faith, that sometimes the reaction of God's people is to say, but we are just. But I'm just. And uh, and so I, I was just I was just so meditating upon that over the last couple of days and wanted to wanted to still hold that as a word for us corporately, but I wanted to sort of challenge us as individuals th- this morning as well. Because as uh, as Dad wonderfully took us through the the character the the the, the qualities of fatherhood last Sunday morning. Um, we were put in that position where you were reminded of what the Father thinks about you. You are put in the position where you're reminded of the characteristics of Father. And, and as Dad introduced last Sunday morning, he is all of these things. We never want to take away that he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's all-present, he's all-sufficient, he's all that we need. But it actually he longs that he would be known as Father. I'm reading through Jeremiah at the minute, and I think there's somewhere in Jeremiah where you get it, where you get a glimpse into the heart of God. I thought you would have called me Father. You've witnessed my miracles. You've witnessed my power. You've witnessed right the story right from set you free in Egypt. But all along we get a, a, a glimpse of his heart. I thought you would have called me father. I thought by now you would have known me as father. And so last week we were reminded, and I think I hope more than just last week, reminded of what father thinks of you. We are trying to encourage each each other reminding one another of who is who it is that lives within us. Power, resurrection power is in us. We're longing for that resurrection power to come alive. We're, remi- we're trying to remind one another of that. We're re- we try to remind each other often of the, of the responsibility, the call of God to go that is for each one of us. It's b- b- brilliant that we are praying this morning that for the guys in Burkina, Continuing to remember Edgar in the States and uh, Roberts and Nigel in Greece and Andrew and Sophia as they head to India. And I've heard and responded to that call of God, the call of God to, to go. But this is what so often happens. And I, I, I don't know if there's some in the room, there's bound to be some. Uh, that whenever you're, sometimes whenever you're reminded again of what Father thinks of you. Sometimes when you're reminded again of what, who it is that lives within you. And you're reminded again of the call of God to go and the reminder, the comfort that when, as you go that he will be with you always to the end of the age. But sometimes in response to that, but I'm just. But I'm just. Ah. And there's so, many different, there's so many different places that we could go this morning to fill in that blank. But it's that it's that it's that attitude of but I'm just that I want to talk about for a wee bit. Because the reality is, I don't want anybody to feel guilt or condemnation as we talk about some of this stuff. Because ultimately, in Jesus, those of us that are in Jesus, there's no there's no condemnation. Um, but I want you to know that you're in good company if you struggle with self doubt. You're in good company because self doubt is probably the most common reaction. As you read through so many of the the great people of the great uh, the great stories in the Bible, from Moses right 
through to the end, we see that self-doubt is the most common reaction when a people are called by God. I love that I'm, at the minute I'm, I'm reading through Mark and just love constantly rereading and, 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 and just watching Jesus. He's the most incredible, beautiful, wonderful person. And, uh, and to watch Jesus and to watch that security that he had. He was never, he was never riddled with self-doubt as a man because he was so secure in relationship with the Father. Self-doubt never was able to creep into Jesus. And there's times where it could have. Because he was, he was rejected by those that he came for. Those that he came for, he was, he was rejected. Even in his hometown, he was rejected. He was a prophet without honor in his hometown. He wasn't received, and because of that, he wasn't able to do many miracles there. But we, haven't have, we have the jibes of those that are around Jesus saying, but isn't he just a carpenter? But isn't he just Joseph's boy? He's Mary's son. And I wonder if the, if the crowds that were around began to watching Jesus, seeing the call of God that was on his life, hearing his teaching and, and realizing those around were, were amazed at this teaching they'd never heard anything like it before. And, and they're watching that and they're like, but he's just Mary's boy. Remember the scandal 30 years ago. Remember the tried to tell us that Mary was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The, the, the shame that Mary endured, and I wonder, was, was that still something that the, those around would have still pointed out? I see some of this that's going on. I, I hear that the call of God that's on his life, but isn't he just a carpenter? Isn't he just Joseph's boy? Isn't he just Mary's boy? And I love that Jesus was so secure in relationship with the Father that he was able to deflect the jibes of those that were around him. But it wasn't like that with everybody. It wasn't like that with Moses. And so if you were to go to Exodus chapter 4, the story of the, the burning bush, it's, it's the chapter before in Exodus 3. And here we have Moses being called by God. Being called by God, and and he says uh, he says something along these lines. He he continues going back and forth with God, and he gets this place in, in verse ten of chapter four. But I'm I'm not good with words. But I am not. It was the it was the it was the whole narrative right through the that that time that God was calling him, setting him apart to be the one that would bring release and freedom to his people. And over and over, Moses was, but I'm just. But I'm just. In verse 10, but I'm not, I'm not good with words, and I never have been. And, and, and it's ironic in some ways that, that, that Moses is arguing with God about his inability to not, to not argue. He's arguing with God that he can't argue the case. He can't plead the case before the people. And uh, do you know, as I was reading, I was reading this story of uh, Stephen this week, and 
in, in Acts 6 and 7. And it actually gets to this. I never noticed it before, but it, it, as Stephen is talking about the fathers of the faith, trying to encourage, uh, trying to encourage his fellow citizens and trying to re- cause them to see the, the person of Jesus, that he truly was the Son of God, that he truly was the Messiah. And as he's going through the story of the fathers of the faith, he comes to Moses and he says, Moses was one who was, who, was, who was educated in the ways of Pharaoh. He was full of wisdom. And it says in verse 22 of Acts chapter 7, he was powerful in speech and action. He was powerful in speech and action. I just made me feel so sad. I felt, I felt really sad because here was, here was what self-doubt can do. Self-doubt can stop you from, from doing the very thing that you, were always, that you always should have done. See, Moses, I think, in some ways, was probably graced for this. He found his niche. He found it, he found it that he was, he was one that could, be, that could receive wisdom, that could carry this, that could become powerful in, in persuading, and powerful in speech, powerful in words, powerful in action. But whenever he is faced with the call of God in his life, he, he, he is so riddled with self-doubt that he it stops him it tries to stop him from doing the very thing that he always should have done that's interesting it's interesting that actually it seems that he wears God out it's just constant but I'm just but I'm just but I'm just and it gets to it gets to the middle of Acts chapter 4 and it's like God was so angry he's just like alright then I'll send Aaron with you his complaints and his self-doubt it so wore him out that God was so frustrated. All right, I'll, I'll send Aaron. I'll send Aaron along with you. And uh, I know things didn't finish well for, for Saul, for King Saul. But in First Samuel chapter 9, we have, the, we have uh, Samuel anointing Saul as king. Samuel sets him apart. The call of God is on the life of Saul. And this is his reaction. This is Saul's response to the call of God on his life in 1 Samuel 9 verse 21. But I'm only from the tribe in Israel. And my family is the least important of all the families of that tribe. Why are you talking like this to me? But I'm just. Or to put it, probably word it another way, but I'm not one of the elite I'm not one of the most successful. I'm not one of the most respected. Why would you talk like this to me? And I wonder if there's some in this room that, that, that have said the same thing. That is here, incredible things that Father sings over you. He rejoices over you. You're the apple of his eye. You're, the, you're his most treasured possession. You're, you're a holy people. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Are we, are we sometimes like, Saul, why are you talking like this to me? I'm from a, I'm from a little village in Richill. I'm not. My family was, well, my family's amazing, but I, but like, bear, bear, bear with me. Yeah. But but that idea of I'm not from, I'm not from the elite. I'm not from the respected. I'm not from the most successful. Why would you talk like this to me? We get to to Jeremiah. I'm, I'm reading Jeremiah at the minute. Absolutely fascinated by Jeremiah. 
many ways. It's painful to read. But right at the, right at the very beginning, I'm sure if Jeremiah knew what was ahead of him, if Jeremiah had known the words that God was going to give him to speak to his people, he probably would have been more forceful with his, but I'm just. And at the very start, when God says, you're, you're, you are, before, while you're in the womb, I was forming you, I was creating you, I was setting you apart, and I was calling you to be a prophet to the nations. I was calling you to be my mouthpiece to my people. And Jeremiah's response to the call of God was, but I'm just a child. But I'm just a child. And then the verse after that, I think you hear something of, of, of God's frustration almost when, whenever he, he so clearly calls people, when he cl- so clearly sets them apart, when he so clearly promises them that he'll be with them and he'll never let them go. And, he's, and God said, but don't say that. Verse 7 of that first chapter in Jeremiah, don't say that. And so I wonder if we've ever done the same. We've, we've got to that place where we feel like he's called us. He's setting us apart for something, but I'm, I'm too young. Give me another few years. Wait till, wait till I've finished having my family. Wait till I've finished having my kids. At the minute, I'm just too young. And the father's like, don't say that. It doesn't have to be just that I'm, but I'm too old. We get If we go right back, if you can go with me, we're actually right back to Genesis chapter 18 where we have the story of, of, uh, of Abraham and Sarah. Called by God. Abraham, you're going to be a father to the nations. But we're barren. We're without child. We're, we're, what are you talking about? And, we, and it comes, the same word, Sarah overhears it. Sarah, you're going to be a mother to the nations. The call of God, destiny is all over your life. The destiny of God is, is written. It's stamped on you. And Sarah laughs. But I'm too old. But I'm too old. And, and she laughs. And, and it's almost like the same thing that God would say to Jeremiah. Don't say that. He would say to those that say that you're too old, don't laugh. Please don't laugh. Don't say that. And so it's a natural, it's, it's something that we have to just wrestle with, I think, in our flesh, these, these feelings of self-doubt. There's very few that seem to uh, have avoided self-doubt whenever God calls them. But there is times wherever, whenever it is exaggerated or others can try to exaggerate that self-doubt. Love the story, I'm sure, like many of you, love the story of, of King David. And so we, as, we, as I've alluded to, Saul, it didn't end well with Saul. And Samuel has been sent to find another to anoint, to find another to to be called out, to be set apart for God. And he goes to the house of Jesse. This is where he's told that you're going to find the one to anoint. And, and he walks into the house of Jesse and he sees these strapping men, these men built for army, built for war. Samuel assumes it's one of these guys. It's going to be Eliab. It's bound to be the oldest one. Look at him. The size of him. It's going to be him. He's bound to be God's man. And, and as he goes right down, the sons, no, 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 not him, not him, not him. Till there's none left. And Samuel knows that he's in the right place. God reminds him, Samuel, there's, you're in the right place. And he asks, is there nobody else? And and Jesse says that, yeah, there's one more. But he's just a child. 
yeah, there's, there's David, but he's just a shepherd. And others trying to exaggerate and try to... And, and I think that's why I love this story so much. And without, without calling on some sort of pity party or, or looking at any, any empathy, that I, I, wrestle, I, I wrestle with these same things that I think David had. Taking on a position of leadership or, and, and being almost felt like others would exaggerate those feelings of self-doubt that are that were in me and, and sometimes do raise their ugly head from time to time. But he's too young. That argument's, don't, I don't feel that as much as I used to. 33 next month. I'm not as often saying, but I'm too young. I'm just a child. But I do, but I'm just a, I'm just a shepherd. But, I'm, but I don't have the qualifications. I don't have, I don't have the education. But I don't have it. But I'm just, but I'm just. And uh, and over and over again, others try to maybe exaggerate those feelings of self of self doubt. You're too young. You're not the right age. You're not mature enough. You're not, you're not educated enough. You're not qualified enough. And they said the same thing. I would I would assume that they were thinking the same things. Others around Peter and John in Acts chapter four probably tried to exaggerate or tried to exaggerate those feelings of self doubt and in those guys because they watched and they looked on at the things that God was at the things that God was doing through these guys their response was but aren't they just aren't they just common men but aren't they just ordinary but they're not even educated and and so others can exaggerate those feelings aren't they just ordinary aren't they just common aren't they just educa- uneducated and so the truth is, there's no, there, there's no point in me standing here and, and saying anything other if you're If you're young, you are young, there's nothing you can do about that. If you are a wee bit older, nothing you can do about your age. You can't stop it. You can't, you can't name it and claim it. You can't name and claim, I'm not 73 anymore. I'm in the name of Jesus, I'm 60. You can't, if you've, done, if you've came and you're at 33 years of age and you're at the place where I don't know if, if further education or getting a qualification is an option for me anymore, there's no point in hiding away from that. It's evident. It's obvious. But what I'm trying to suggest and what I want to try and finish with is that we, that what I want to suge- suggest this morning, this afternoon, is that we, would, that we would embrace that rather than allow it to be the thing that would restrict us. And so I know that there's a, there's a, what, I think what I'm wanting to say is this, that today is that we try to avoid the but just. Because I think it's all right to say, I, I am young. I don't have all the qualifications. I don't have all the, the, the education that so many other people in church leadership have. All of those things. There's no point in trying to say otherwise. But I think Father would, would want us to, to, to get rid of the but. Let's get rid of the but. I don't mean going on a diet. I mean get rid of the I mean get rid of the, the butt. Get rid of the just. And uh, and I think that's what he would want us to do because I think that we, then we embrace it. And what I found is as I was praying about this last night, it was just I was making this really personal. There is a false there is a false humility that I think will restrict us. There's a false humility that will say, But I'm but I'm just and and really, we're just looking to get past the book. Really, we're just looking to avoid any 
responsibility. There is a false humility that will restrict. But I think because James reminds us that he gives grace to the humble, that there is a humility that will embrace. There is a humility, there's a humble response, I think, that will say, God, I, I recognize. I, I, re- I realize that you consistently choose and use the most unlikely people. God, that, that you've, you seem to have done that right from the start to the end. And as I think of the people that you're using even today, I realize that you use and choose the least likely, the most unlikely. And so this morning, for fill in your blank, but just in case you have ruled yourself out because you're from the, because you're from the wrong background, that you're you have the wrong education, that you're the wrong gender, that you're the wrong, uh, that you have the wrong abilities. What I'd love to say and encourage you with is watch out, be careful, because a lack of credentials and a lack of faith are absolutely no obstacle to the Father. Absolutely no obstacle to Him. It's almost like. That's, he goes after that intentionally. He goes to the Sauls and the Davids and the Gideons because they are the smallest, because they are the least. He goes to the Peters and Johns. He pulls the 12 aside because he knows that, that, that whenever people begin to testify about what he's doing, they'll know that it was nothing to do with their ability. It was nothing to do with their education. It was nothing to do with their age or their background. It was all because of, it was all because of him. Let me read what the, the New Living Translation says. If you want to take note of it and read it in your own version, do that. But First Corinthians chapter one and the last the last verses of that. Um, well, let me go. To, let me go from verse twenty six of First Corinthians one. Remember. Dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. And God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important and as a result no one can ever boast in the presence of God God has united you with Christ Jesus for our benefit God made him to be wisdom itself God made us Christ made us right with God he made us pure and holy and he freed us from sin therefore as the scriptures say if you want to boast boast only about the Lord and so, so today if you are reading through uh, if you're still if there's any of you who are still reading through the the Bible reading plan that we give out at the start of the year. You'll have seen today that we are in Judges chapter 6. Judges 6 is the story of Gideon. And here again with the call of God. It's found hiding out in a wine press. And God comes and calls him out. And he says, filled with self-doubt. And says something similar to what others have said before him. And what others have said after but I'm a nobody. I'm, I'm from the least tribe and from the least family and actually even amongst the family and the least of the family. I'm the nobody of the nobodies. I am the runt of the litter. I'm a nobody. And, and God comes and, and, uh, and it's like, it's almost like God says, exactly. 
part of me thinks that God's, it's almost like God's face lights up. Yes, you're perfect. You're ideal. Don't let, don't let this realization restrict you. Humbly, humbly accept that that's who you are. That's where you find yourself. And, and, it's, and it's you that's the ideal candidate for, for me to use. And God shows, I think, we've, we, as we read on through the story of Gideon, we get an understanding, we get a perfect example of what we're reading here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Because we, we, get, uh, we get Gideon reducing his army. It goes, what does it go down to? 300? It goes down to 300, I think. And, and, uh, and how, what, a, what a perfect example of 1 Corinthians. That's absolutely ludicrous. That's foolish in the eyes of the world but it's the thing that it's the thing that God uses to show that Gideon it, regardless of your age regardless of your ability regardless of your background if you'll just say yes if you'll just obey you're the perfect person that I can display my goodness I can display my power no one else will get the credit but me and I and so I, I, I think I, I'll just simply finish by saying don't let don't let those but I'm just restrict you. I would suggest that you would that you would try to get rid of the the but because it's it's the, it 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 is never going to be the thing that restricts you from being called by God. And I hope there's a release in that for somebody and that you would humbly embrace and recognize that you are the one. You are one that he loves to use. You're one that he longs to use and so uh, so father and as we are as we are just continuing to go through these sundays just asking uh, you what you're saying to us in in, in this time uh, god we just want to speak we want to speak from a place of uh, of where we're at we just want to speak from a place of what you're wrestling uh, allowing us to wrestle through with and, and so god i just ask for those and among us even this morning that have allowed those that self-doubt to restrict allowed self-doubt to be the thing that would cause them to say no that would call that would be the thing that would cause them to say wait that would cause them to say send somebody else but father i pray that you would you would release people from that this morning father there'd be a there'd be a realization we would recognize that that uh, in, in spite of background, age, nationality, culture, that you are, we are ones that you are longing to use. And so God, I pray that we would, with fresh ears, with the eyes of our hearts open, we would hear again, we would hear afresh that the call of God that is on our lives as a church, but as individuals. And, uh, and, and self-doubt would not rule. And so we, uh, we, just, we just honor you. We thank you for what we've said and sang and, and done and prayed over and shared this morning. We, we pray as Ian prayed that you're, just, you're, you're lifted high, you're glorified, you're given the place that you're due, that you're worth. And, uh, and as we go about the rest of our day, would you would you be with us? Would you be so present among us? We pray that uh, you would be with us uh, at Bridges. We just pray that would be a good time. We pray 
God, can I even ask for Jimmy? God, as we just spend time with Jimmy and the family, that you would that you would just again encounter him with your goodness. God, you would sense just the grace, the peace, and the love of God as we spend time uh, with with his family. We pray for little baby Sapphire. God, we pray that you would um, just bless this little one. You would have your hand upon her. And God, we just enjoy being together. God, I pray there'd be moments today that we'd just be able to encourage each other, be able to uh, call more out in one another as uh, we continue to follow you, as we continue to long to please you. We recognize that uh, without faith it's impossible. And so would you just increase faith, increase boldness, uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.